Good morning, good morning. Hey, good morning. Glad that everyone is here this morning, and if you would, just go ahead and grab some coffee and some donuts, and we're going to go ahead and, and jump in uh, this morning. I uh, have some notes for you that I'm going to hand out in a moment, but I thought I'd uh, just introduce myself first and hand out some notes, and then we're going to dive in to our topic for today here in Parent You. Well, let me uh, share with you who I am. My name is uh, Monty Starks. I'm on staff here at Perimeter. I'm the uh, director of Life on Life and Global Outreach. So help with Life on Life and uh, giving it away here at church, across the world, and then also uh, Global Outreach, our missions department here at Perimeter. So <clears throat> Cami and Jeff are out of town and Jeff uh, asked me to step in this morning. I think probably was because he knew that I had many, many poor parenting examples that I could give you. And so that's why he asked me to step in, which is very true. So much so that we're talking about, you know, getting after the hearts of our teens. And at this very moment, in the last 11 months, I've had four teens. I have a 19-year-old, a 17-year-old, a 16-year-old, and a 13-year-old. So for the last 11 months, I've had 14, so I could tell you. So much so that if you wanted to come and see part of my parenting, uh, my um, failure in parenting, you would have been interested if somebody, uh, anybody was at the 11 o'clock service for Good Friday this past April. Because if you would have come late, there in the chapel, there's that little... My little narthex, it's only like, what, I don't know, 20 feet by 10 feet. I was laying prostrate on the floor, no lie, face down on the floor, as people were walking over me as I was seeking the Lord for the hearts of my kids because my heart was broken over my failure, over them running to the world, and over me thinking the world uh, had them, owned them. So um, I could spend the rest of our time just talking about the failure of parenting uh, my teens, and we're going to get a little bit into that. But hopefully, we're going to talk about a very powerful subject, a very difficult subject, a very hard subject, but I think one that hopefully will bring some hope and joy and excitement because God is on the throne, and He is not getting off the throne, and we can trust in Him. So I encourage you to listen to the last three podcasts. Uh, you can go to Watershed and listen to those. Uh, I listen to all of them. Uh, Jeff and Cami did an amazing job, so I encourage you to do that. They looked at uh, a healthy person, a healthy couple, and a healthy marriage. They looked at it in those order as we seek to come to this fourth one. And we're going to look at today just... What does it mean to have unity in the home? And when you have unity in the home, what I believe will result in that is if you are a healthy person walking with Christ, a healthy couple, healthy in your parenting, and you have unity in this home, which will result in what? Really missional living happening in and through you, happening in and through your teens, in word and deed, and happening in your home. So we're going to talk a lot about unity at home that will result in hopefully loving the least, the lost, the needy in your home 
and outside your home. So if I would, I'm going to pass these. Um, there's a lot of notes in here, and I'm going to run through some of them very slowly, some of them very quickly. So I, I believe we have enough for everybody. If you would, front tables, grab some, and then pass them back. And I love in the first sentence, I even left out the word at. So you can go ahead and, and get past that it's going to be perfect grammar in these notes. So we can move on from there. But before uh, I do move on, as those are being handed out, those notes are being handed out, any comments, questions, or thoughts from the past three weeks? Anything the Lord might be doing or showing you or that you learned or implemented? Anything? Okay. Great. Uh, if anyone needs one, anybody else need one? Okay. All right. Well, today we're going to again look at unity in the home that hopefully lead to missional living. And so, unity that brings missional living. I believe as parents, we want to be a light and salt to the world. We want our kids to be a light and salt to the world. They're creating the image of God, and they want, we want them to reveal to the world the hope of the gospel, the hope of Christ. But what does it look like to bring unity? Well, first of all, we see here a definition of unity. When I looked up this definition, I literally kind of felt like vomiting a little bit, to be honest with you, because I was sitting there going, the state of being in full agreement. And I remember that one time in the last 12 years that was in our home, that one agreement. And it was beautiful. We all wanted to see the same movie, and it was great. I think it was Star Wars or something like that. Like, man, we're all in full agreement. And I realized, oh, my goodness, very little unity in the Starks' home. Because if that's the definition, wow, we're in trouble. And then this next state of being joined as a whole, that we're one, we're whole. It's like, uh-oh, I'm not sure this is really a good topic. Can we talk about something else? That's exactly what was going through my heart. It really was. I was like, wow, this is not going to be fun. You know, unity in the home when our kids were younger, it was a lot easier. You know, they didn't have all these major uh, conflicts of agendas and their own, like, deep opinions about anything. They still had their own, but it was a lot easier to control them. You know, have little Pharisees running around. You know, it's kind of just protect them, and you do this, you don't do this. Like, okay, great. Even if they rebelled, they would come back around and be a lot easier. Um, Somehow, I've taught my kids to argue well. I don't know about you, that's one of the things I first teach my kids in first grade. Here's how you argue with your parents. <laughs> and somehow they've gotten better at it. And I've never, I've never taught them. I was like, how did they get better at this? Well, first of all, they see my wife and I, Amy and I, argue very well. You're like, oh, that's how you do it. That's how you put down other people. And I was like, oh, my goodness, uh, they are growing up to be like me. Hopefully, Lord, keep them from that. So unity, when they get older, has become much harder. So what brings unity? Uh, Jeff and Cammie have been talking about Colossians 3, and there's this verse in there that Jeff hit on the first week. I'd like us to look at that, and that's Colossians 3.14 right there in your notes. And it says, and above all these, that means hint, hint, like listen, listen, this is a big thing. Above all these, put on love. Love binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love binds everything together in perfect 
harmony. If people have come in, accident, uh, uh, have a little late, if you mind passing those back, some people, I think, jumped in. So love unifies. Love binds everything together in perfect harmony. So I need love in my home. It will bring unity. It will bring harmony. It will bring oneness in our home. Let's look at three verses later. So what kind of love is this? What does this true love really look like? Well, uh, Paul there in Colossians, look at verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, think of almost in missional living, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So when we think about love, you can sum it up to say it is all about Christ. It is all about Jesus. Everything should be done in the name of the Jesus for him, through him, and to him. Our love should be about Christ. Christ is our centerpiece. Christ is our focus. Christ is the foundation of our love. It is all about Jesus. When I think about my home, I tend to make my home all about me and not about Jesus. I can do that very quickly. I can make it all about me and my comfort and my peace and my safety. I can make it all about what I want to watch, what I want to do, when I want to eat, when I don't want to eat. I can make even my love about me. And we're going to talk about that. So uh, uh, Paul tells us here, love brings unity. So when we think about this battle, let's look at this for a second. How do we love Christ, or how do we love with Christ being the foundation and center of our love? Now, this is very convicting to me. Unity requires daily dependence on God's unconditional love. I'll say that again. Unity requires daily dependence on God's unconditional love, not our conditional love. In other words, we need to depend fully on the Lord to give our children wings to live as young men and young women of God. So you have to ask yourself, and I think that question is right there in your notes. And I, and I started wrestling this, asking myself, does my love or does your love give your children wings to live as children of God, or does your love, quote, conditional love, or parent-centered love, instead of Christ-centered love, place your children in bondage and chains? Let me see if I can explain this. It's great to have family rules, guidelines, policies. If you don't have them, there will be chaos. That's why God gave us his law to ultimately point us to Jesus. And it's good. It's good protection. It's good guidance. So we need those. But the key is we don't need the rules and guidelines to be about us or even about them. And that's what I make it a lot of times. I make the rules are how we're going to guide are my love about them or about me, and especially about me. And I hope we're, well, I'll be able to clear that up in a minute. We desperately need to be dependent on God's unconditional love for our teens. See, here's the issue in my heart. I'm scared that the choices they'll make. Anybody with me? Anybody scared about the choices your teens make? Okay, if, if you haven't raised your hand, please wake up. Thank you for waking up. That's fantastic. So you're scared about the choices. So what we do is we parent out of fear. 
And then we seek to control our kids based on our conditional love. So again, it's good to have guidelines, policy, rules, whatever you want to call them. But all of a sudden we make them me-centered. And because they're done out of fear. Again, hopefully I'll clear that up in a minute when I give some examples. Even if we believe they're truly not Christians, or we believe they are, we parent out of fear to seek to control their decisions, we control their behaviors. And when they were younger, this was easy to do. Because here's what I did to really bring great kids in my home to, per, to literally live the way I wanted them to live. So if you have younger kids, this will work. So Kyle, this will work. Um, Here's what you do. You raise your tone and you bring shame, guilt, and fear of punishment upon them. So if you do that again, this is what's going to happen. And you'll never be. And somehow they get straight for how long? I don't know, five minutes, ten minutes maybe. They might go to bed. It really works well when they go to bed because you don't have to see them for several hours. And then when they wake up the next morning, somehow they're exactly the same. They're back to their own sinful ways. And the tone and the guilt and the shame and the fear of punishment upon them didn't quite work because we didn't go after their hearts. And so we give them this conditional love. Now, let me share something with you that's hard for me. When I was studying this, this was so convicting because I was reading about something that someone was writing and they said this. You know you have unconditional love for your kids. No matter what they do, you'll love them and accept them. Now, some of us may go, oh, I'm not sure I'm going to, anything they do, I'll love and accept. But God will. So here's what happens. We, we, we control and we parent out of fear. And then what happens is they say, well, no, 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 no. But I unconditionally love you, child. I really do. Do they feel that a lot of times? <laughs> they don't. They don't feel it. You're believing it, and you really are believing it. It's true. But guess what they're feeling? They're feeling that all this is about you, dad, about you, mom. And they're not feeling unconditional love. Should there be, con- there, should there be consequences? I'm going to talk about it in a second. Absolutely. I believe in consequences. I'm going to talk about that. But how do we get around this? So we need to have loving policy rules in our home. But we need to do that t- to lift up God's unconditional love and to honor him. But we usually parent by believing our parenting will change them and bring unity home. You know what? Our parenting is not going to change them. I don't think I believe that. I think I believe that my good parenting, it's going to change them. If I just parent well, their hearts will change. God uses our obedience and faithfulness and prayers and so on to change our heart's kids, right? But guess what? Who changes them ultimately? It's God. I put so much of my hope in, okay, look at my good parenting. Look at what I did that's right. And I do not put my hope in the one who is going to protect, who is going to guide, who is going to uphold them. And therefore, I control, manipulate, and I do it out of fear. And they pick up on that. Hey, the kids in the room, do you pick up on your parents trying to control you out of fear? Absolutely. Yeah, we got a lot of, yeah, absolutely. That happened? Yeah. Like, hold on. Hey, nice try. Wouldn't you like to stop? Like, hey, mom and dad, that was a good one. Oh, man, that acting's really good. Man, you look like you really, really unconditionally love me in this moment. So it's interesting that we actually believe God's power isn't good enough, but our parenting power is what's going to change them. 
And then we have people like myself who have children. I'll say it again, children. We actually don't parent, we children. Meaning we, we need to talk about parenting. This is parent you, parenting. But you know how we do a lot of times? We children. We put them at the focus. We put them at the blame. It should be maybe more about godding rather than children and parenting. Maybe it should be about Christing. So let's talk about this in more in depth. To sum it up, we must have more faith and trust in our parenting. That's what we believe. We actually have more faith and trust in our parenting than we do in the power of God, the power of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit to lead God and change our teens. We have to start putting our faith in God's power. Look at Jeremiah 2.13 here. Jeff shared this with me. He said, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. In other words, they've turned away from God to themselves. And then the fountain of living waters. They've forsaken me in the fountain of living waters. And hewed out of cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns, and can hold no water. Meaning, the living water, there used to be this this kind of uh, different types of water you could get in the Old Testament. And the purest water was from these streams. And it was streams of living water. Instead, what would happen is we'd get the water, we'd put it in these cisterns, whatever, and then we'd go to the cistern and carry it to our homes and everything. It's kind of leftover water, so to say. And then we'd have broken cisterns that we'd carry with, and all the water would spill out. And we would put our trust in those broken cisterns. Why aren't you trusting in my great living water? And what we do is we put our hope in ourselves. Oh, we're going to create the new cistern. We're going to make this better because we really don't think God's living water is enough. So we create our own, and we bring it back on ourselves. Unity requires that we trust God and His goodness with our broken cisterns. Now I want to be completely honest with you. I came from a nasty, broken family. I wish I had time to talk about it more. I'm in a horrible situation with my parents, okay? I actually believe God is not good enough to love my kids. my my goodness he's just not good enough He, he can't protect them he can't allow them to get into a situation for them to fail so they could turn to Jesus I have to do is I have to like uh, manipulate them, try to get them in an environment where they wouldn't do that so they could be after me and what I want because I don't think actually God's plan for them is good. I believe God's plan for them is bad. And that is my lack of my faith. That's where it's all about me and not about the Lord. <clears throat> Our view of God's unconditional, powerful, and life-changing love has to get bigger. Our God's unconditional, powerful, and life-changing love has to get bigger. Look at Psalm 143 right there. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast or unfailing love, for in you I trust. In other words, God's love is steadfast. God's love is unfailing. So am I trusting God with only their salvation? Or am I trusting God with every breath and step they, our teens, take every day? Is their future in God's hands or my hands? A lot of times I want it to be mine. Do we believe God can redeem their foolishness, their stubbornness, their laziness, and their selfishness? Oh, yeah, he could save them. Yeah, yeah, he could save them. But I'm the one that's going to redeem them of their selfishness. 
I think you ought to ask this next question. A bigger question you need to ask yourself that I ask myself is this. Do, you believe, do I believe God can actually change and redeem my foolishness as a dad, as a husband? Do I believe God can redeem my selfishness? See, here's our problem. We think our kids are bigger sinners than we are. Ouch. Oh, they're much bigger sinners. I mean, look, I got my sin hidden and protected. I mean, it looks good. You really can't see all of it. But you know what our kids are, right? They replicate whose sin? Our sin. We actually think our kids. See, here's our problem. We don't understand the gospel clearly. We think they're bigger sinners than we are. By the way, Paul says he's the chief of all sinners, right? He's the biggest sinner of all. He did a lot of great things. Why did he say that? He understood his heart and his need for Christ. He understood his heart and his need for Christ. We have to say, Lord, my sin is coming off of my children in so many ways. I model sin for them. I'm a bigger sinner than they are. And I need to repent of that. And stop thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to change their selfish ways. No, God can and will change our selfless ways, and he can do the same for you. That's the power of the gospel. Look at John 4 and John 7. Basically, it says this, Jesus is the living water. Jesus says to the woman at the well, come to me and you'll never thirst again if you drink of me, the living water. Jesus says, out of his heart flows the rivers of living water. I need to be Jesus-centered. I need to be daily dependent on God's unconditional love. I need my home to be unified. It needs to be about Jesus. When I make me the center of my home, then I make conditional love the issue. And unity doesn't happen. So let's look at conditional love. Let's look at conditional love. In conditional love, let me give you a few examples. In a conditional love, we say things like, because I said so. Anybody ever use that one? Uh, Because I said so. It it is about me. Now, again, the rules, the guidelines, policies, whatever you want to call in your home, those things are good. But they're ultimately not for you. Unless you make them about you. Okay, hold on a second. Uh, I said to be quiet over there and we're going to have a quiet home. And a quiet home makes me feel good. So act this way in the home. This is what we're going to do for my my comfort and peace in love. Because I said so. That's why you do it. Because I said so. Hold on a second. No. We've created these policy and guidelines. I've told you why. And the reason why is that we want to honor God. We want our home to reflect the greatness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we've created these. That's why we have these. They are about Jesus. They're not because I said so. Just, this is not about what you set up. This is about how you implement it and what the focus is. You understand the difference? This is not about what you set up. That's a good thing. I don't know. Maybe you do have a legalistic home. I don't know. I grew up in one. My, my parents would create all these extra laws. And again, some of those are good to, for your home. You need those. Don't misunderstand me. But when they become about making me the center of them, we've missed them. 
Your kids need to go, wow, this is good for our home because it honors and glorifies God. It brings unity and love, and it's Christ-centered in our home. That's why we have them. Not because mom and dad think this is about them. <clears throat> the heart must always be the target of our parenting. The heart must always be the target of our parenting. We miss their hearts when we make it about us. A second one is this. Oh, I hate, I hate doing this because it's all about my repentance here all the way through. I'm repenting all the way through this because this is so convicting. In our conditional love, we want our teens to be like us. We have to admit this. If they would just think like us, act like us, look like us, believe like us, work like us, worship like us, eat like us, sleep like us, talk like us, dress like us, and much more, our home would be full of incredible unity. We don't say that, but boy, do we believe that. I'll never, how many times, Amy and I, can you believe that he's thinking like that? Where does he get that from? I mean, if he just thought the way we did, we would have the greatest comfort in our home. Now, he's a different person. He's creating the image of God, personalities, temperaments, giftedness. I don't care about all those things. I just care about him thinking like me. Only if my daughters would dress like my wife, I wouldn't have these problems. Golly, can you believe that? If they would just dress like me. Heck, if my daughters just dressed like me, we would never have a problem, probably. (laughs) See, we make it about us. We miss their hearts, and we make it about a conditional love. About a controlling love. You know, 2 Corinthians 3 says this, that we're being conformed or transformed into the image of Jesus. I actually believe a lot of my parenting is this. I believe I want my kids to be conformed and transformed in the image of me. Jesus isn't good enough. Can they just be like me because I'm good? I'm much less of a sinner than they are, right? I've got it together. No, I don't. I don't want them to be like dad and mom. Don't make it about us. Make it about Jesus. That will bring unity. Our conditional love is to determine if they make the best decisions, right? If they make the wisest, best decisions, good to go. You know what? I love, I remember having, Amy and I having this argument one time about how much do we let our kids fail. Y'all had that argument yet? How much do we come along and save them and rescue them? Oh my goodness, we have to save and rescue them. Because when we do, we're the Savior. We look good. Instead of saying, let them fail and run to Jesus. Maybe that's the best thing for their heart. But no, we want to be the saviors in the home. Many times is it, we make it all about us and our rules, and it brings disunity. I'm going to make a side comment here, because <coughs> I know what some of y'all are thinking right now, and I hope this is helpful. <coughs> in the Starks' home, they actually don't do much punishment. They, they, you know, I mean, it's, it, they've been talking about, you know, policies and rules are good, but they really don't do much punishment. Actually, let me tell you something. We, Amy and I in our home, have never, ever, ever, ever punished our kids. We've never punished them. I hope at least one soul in here gets this, at least one. Because I know some of y'all have heard me say it, because I've said this over again and over again at this church. 
I've never, ever, we've never punished our kids. You know why? Because Christ took 100% of the punishment on the cross. The punitive damages that we deserve, he took it upon us. I want my kids to not associate the word punishment in our home. We discipline the heck out of our kids, but we do not punish them ever. If you ask my kids, have you ever been punished by your parents? You know what they say? They say, no, 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 we don't punish. They discipline us. Jesus took all the punishment on the cross on our behalf. That's just not a little tweak of words, people. That is a theological foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I hope that I would encourage you to say, hey, we don't talk about punishment in our home. We talk about discipline. And I hope you do a ton of discipline. Do you know what the word in Greek, the Greek word of discipline is? Is to teach. And if you don't discipline your kids, you're, you're missing a huge chance to teach your kids. That is one of the best ways to teach your kids is to discipline them. And you ought to discipline them all the time. We would spank our kids constantly. I felt like sometimes, you know, I'd walk around, you know, like when I would go to work or at home, when I'd wake up, I'd just walk around like this and saying, you know, when did I ever, st-? you know, oh yeah, I'll have to stop because I'd spank my kids so much to get at their hearts. Now, uh, after the age of 12, we stopped spanking our kids. As a teenager, we're going to treat them like adults. Uh, they went into an evangelical bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, so to say, and we treat them like adults. We really do. Uh, and there's a lot of things that we focus on as adults. And I promise you, at the age of 13, I said, son, daughter, two sons, two daughters, you're going to want me to spank you. What do you mean? I say, because a lot of times discipline and get at your heart is much worse than a couple of pain for about 10 seconds. You're going to want spanking. And three of the four asked me to spank them at the age of 13 at some point. Just go ahead and spank me. I mean, not that. Please, not that. Anything but that. To get at their hearts. But discipline is, I'll give you one, uh, one story about that. <coughs> is, I remember the very first time we had a teenager. And I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea what I'm doing. So I'm just making up stuff on the fly. You know, as a parent, I'm like, oh, Lord, help me. May it be about Jesus and not about me. So I'm sitting there, and it's my uh, oldest son in the room. And my wife is just three. And he was very disrespectful to, my, to his mom, to Amy. And that's no, 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 no in our home. They picked that up very quickly. No disrespect to mom. That's the top of the list. Somehow it just jumps up at the top of the list. Do not do that. So we're sitting there, and I said, well, there are consequences. You will be disciplined. There's consequences. And, and what I'm going to do, and so my wife's sitting here on the couch and my, my son's sitting there. You have four choices. You get to t- pick two of the four choices, and that's how you're going to be disciplined. And my wife looks at me like, are you crazy? What are you doing? You're not going to give your son. So I said, here's your four choices. So I talked about, you know, this choice, you can't go to this party. Another one, you know, take away whatever video games. Three, I'm going to take your phone away for this long. Or four, you have to pay me this amount of money. There's consequences. Oh, man. So I said, you can pray about it. Come back to me. So he goes, no, I don't have to pray about it. Here's my two. You know, I'm not going to go to that party, and I don't have to play any games. Those are the two I'm going to choose. I said, thank you very much. You have any other questions? Great, and leave. And she's like, why in the heck did you do that? And I said, oh, that was awesome. She goes, why was it awesome? I said, because he chose the two his heart didn't care about. And he kept the two his heart loved. So guess what we did for the next five or six years? We went after what his heart was after to bring discipline. We knew exactly what his heart was in love with. The two he wanted to keep. And I thought, wow, there's better ways to get at his heart. But let's try to discipline and get it really 
what their heart's falling in love with to bring issues to their heart. So let's look at this. Our love, so, so I'm huge on discipline. So I'm not saying don't do that. I'm saying let's make it about depending upon God's unconditional love and not making it conditional about us. When we do this, when we depend upon God's unconditional love, we give them freedom. We give them freedom to, to be called who God's called them to be. We give them freedom to fail, to mess up, and most of all, to run to Jesus. There are times you need to protect your children from, from getting into a horrible mess. Do that. There's other times that you need to let them fail so they could hopefully run to Christ. Even if they don't run to Christ, see that they need Jesus desperately. Depending on God's unconditional love in our teens, daily, um, uh, uh, it changes everything about their life. We then want them to act like Jesus, look like Jesus, believe like Jesus, work like Jesus, worship like Jesus, eat like Jesus, sleep like Jesus, talk like Jesus, dress like Jesus. Wouldn't that be pretty cool, just a long robe all the time? And, and much more. Trusting in God's unconditional love brings unity in our home and hopefully a result in us being missional. Giving our teens a time to flourish and give them wings. In other words, our faith must grow. God is good. He has our teens' hearts in his hand. We need to trust in his unfailing love, his steadfast love. So how do we do this? So how do we do this? So uh, I'm going to give you some practical examples, and then we're going to have some table time, okay? How do we do this? Let me begin by saying this. If there is only one thing you can give your children, if there's only one thing you could teach your children, what would that be? Give me some examples. What would that be? Do what? To have a broken and contrite heart. Awesome. What else? If you can only give them one thing, you can only teach them one thing, what would that be? Jesus loves them. Do, do what? Be responsible. Man, I love all of those. If someone asked me that question, I would sum it up this way, because I believe we could go in and all these are uh, simply could be summed up. And, and again, some could be outside the box here or inside the box, the same or different. But here's how I'd answer that question. My answer would be this. If I could give them one thing, teach them one thing, I would teach them this. A daily desperate need of Jesus which would result in a broken heart to say they can't do it on their own, that Jesus truly loves them, and that's why they could run to Jesus. And that, that desperate need of Jesus would give them, hopefully, a responsibility to follow him. I would love to say, okay, kids, here's, here's the package I'm going to give you. I want you to have a heart that is des daily desperate for the need of Jesus. That, that, that's the only thing I give you. Thank you very much. Have a good life. I wish I could package that. Wouldn't that be cool? We could put it that under the Christmas tree every year. And they would open and say, well, it's my favorite gift. Oh, I get the daily desperate need of Jesus. Because their hearts would be so in tune and broken over their own sin. A contrite heart running. They would see the love of Christ. There is no greater love. The world could not give them a greater love. Only Jesus could give them that ultimate satisfaction. 
I desire for my children to see their need for Jesus every day. You tell me, how are they going to do that? By seeing your need for Jesus every day. Oh my goodness. We hide our sin, control our love, conditional love. We make the rules about ourselves and therefore they do not see our daily desperate need of Jesus. They see the rule. They see our response. They see our nasty, selfish, prideful, anger heart. Oh my goodness, we have to model for them a daily desperate need for Jesus. And they will see that the home is about the unconditional love of God and not about you and me. I tell them all the time how much I love them. I, tell, I said, children, you have no idea how much I love them. I tell them this, I say this, I bet you once a month for all our kids. I love you so much. I can't tell you how much I love you. But it does not compare to the unfailing, faithful love of your heavenly Father. I don't want their trust and hope to be in me. I want their trust and hope to be in God. So I tell them all the time, don't hope and trust in me. I'm going to do all I can to love you and protect you and guide you. But whatever you do, God's love is 10 times more infinite than my love will ever be. Trust in his love. Trust in his goodness for you. Don't trust in me. I mean, I'm telling my kids, I am going to fail you. I don't want to fail you, but I'm going to fail you. Has daddy failed you before? And, and I mean, what is it, 0.4 tenths of a second? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. They know that already, so why don't you tell them? Why don't you point them to Jesus? I tell them to trust the fool in the one who will never let them down, who will always love them with their, his unconditional love. I tell them to trust in Jesus, run to Jesus, and rest in Jesus. So three things that I hope our family does to get at this, and then we'll have table time and end our time. And uh, maybe some Q&A after that. Here are three things I encourage you to do. Number one, there in the blank, is the power of prayer. The power of prayer. I ask this all the, all the time. How do you bring unity to your home? And I will get 25 answers before I ever get the word prayer. You know in John 17 when Jesus prays, what does he pray for all the believers in the world? That they would be what? One. Jesus prays the high priestly prayer, the greatest prayer Mary ever to be prayed in history. He prays what? That we would be one, unified, as him and the heavenly Father are one. You know what you ought to pray for your kids? Pray for unity. Pray for oneness. Be desperately dependent on God's oneness and love in your family. Oh, God, bring oneness in our family. Bring unity in our family. I love what my wife Amy said when I was asking her about this. She said this, um, Consistent praying keeps our hearts, our parents' hearts, from overreacting and making love conditional. When we're praying that there's oneness and our kids would be a daily desperate need for Jesus, it helps us when our kids come and they respond wrongly and they make bad decisions. We don't freak out because we're like, we're praying for them. God's got them. We don't have to freak out. We could say, wow, we've been praying that God would send them to their knees. I love this comment. 
these two comments. Uh, Paul Miller, fantastic writer. If you haven't read A Praying Life, read his book, A Praying Life. Fantastic book. My wife's favorite book of all time. He says this, my best parenting is always done on my knees. My best parenting, that's anything I do to help my kids grow. My best parenting is done on my knees. I think that ought to be true for all of us. Get on your knees. I love to put my kids down at night. I don't care if they're 19 years or old or not. Now, again, some of those are going to bed at 1, and I'm not doing that at 1.30. But, you know, when they are tired and they go to bed, I love to close their door and sit outside their door and get on my knees and just pray my heart out for their heart. I just love just right outside their door, God, you have to change them. I can't. You can give them a desperate need for you. I can't. Would you do that in their heart? Do that in my heart. Prayer works. Pray for unity. Pray for daily dependence on God's unconditional love. Pray your teens would run after Jesus and fall more in love with Jesus. And see their daily desperate need for Christ. Number two. Number two. Repent often. Number two. Repent often. Repent often. Pray for opportunities to repent to your children. Do not make life about you. Repent of trying to make it about you. In other words, when you repent, turn to Jesus. Show them your desperate need for Jesus. You remember, they sin like you do. They're copying your sin in so many ways. So as what was already said today, a broken and contrite spirit, I challenge you with this. Jeff and Cammie is talking about the last three weeks being stretched as parents that we would stretch our love, that we would stretch our understanding of parents. I pray that you would be stretched so far that you would break. You would snap. Because you would be broken and you would only run to Christ. I pray you would be so snapped and so broken, the only place you would go to is repentance and asking God would break your heart and start with your heart. Make it about running to Jesus. Repentance brings brokenness. Repentance brings grace and mercy. Repentance makes things not about you. Repentance is about other-centered. Repentance makes Jesus the center of the home. And you can see three steps there. Confess the root of your sin. Turn and repent and run to Jesus in his forgiving love. And ask the Holy Spirit to powerfully live through you in obedience. Repent often. And third, target and listen to their hearts. Target and listen to their hearts. Target and listen to their hearts. In other words, incarnate. Incarnate, Jesus became man. You know what you can do? Incarnate. Put yourself in their shoes and seek to understand what's going on on their young, hurting, pain, misunderstanding hearts. And try to get in their shoes. Remember that that the crisis is about them and not you. You remember when your kids are struggling all the time? I'm like, man, you're really going through that. Now, you need to start acting that way. Stop that. And we need. All of a sudden, their pain and struggles becomes about us. No, incarnate. Put yourself in their shoes. Consider the way that God treats you. His compassion, his grace, is slow to anger, his love, his kindness, his patience. He's always available for you to run to. Encourage their hearts toward God. Target and listen to their hearts. So reminders here. 
daily depend on God's unconditional love. God loves your children more than you do. And model what it means to have a daily desperate need for Jesus. So I'd like you to do it right now, around your tables. Uh, discuss these four questions for maybe 15 minutes or so. And then we'll have a Q&A at the end and we'll spend some time praying, okay? So here's the four questions right there. How have you brought, question number one, how have you brought disunity to your home? Question number two, how has your love been a self-centered, conditional love? Number three, of these three practical steps, where have you succeeded? Or what do you need to work on? And fourth, what can you repent to your kids about today or tomorrow? Take some time to do that right now. Love to hear some of those. Okay, if I gave you four choices, two you could keep, two you could throw away, you're going to keep the ones that are most important to your heart. So he actually had four steps or four choices of discipline. He chose the two he loved the most. And now I know what he loves the most. So the next time I'm with him and he's going to be disciplined, I say, hmm, you remember those two choices you kept? (laughs) I'm going to go after your heart there because I know your heart, that's the idols of your heart. Does that make sense? So are you saying that the next time you would select the choice that would affect his heart? Correct. Actually, for the next like 10 years, I can select those choices because I know I love them. Now, he knows if I play that game with him, which I never did. I just did that one time my entire life. He knows what that would be. I mean, he's not dumb. He's going to. But it's all about getting after the heart. So I just let him choose his heart's idols and not me think what I think his heart's idols are. Understand? Everybody clear on that? Any more? Okay, great. Any comments, questions, thoughts, things you learn at the tables? I'm just kind of thinking out loud with what you're saying with the heart thing. And I'm struggling with it. We are right now, you know, taking the phone away. Yeah. How do you take the phone away when they use Quizlet at school? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you take the phone away at home and give it to them getting out the door to the car. And then yeah. Or, like, that's, kind of, that's the kind of thing. And then, you know, take away the video games. But then he has the friends over last night. And yeah, that's what they do, yeah. Video games and not do porn. So, oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Take away the video games and then give them access to the porn. That, that is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. That's why I think every decision around that home has to be individualistic toward your child and about their hearts and not about what the exact discipline is going to be. For example, you talk about if they use their phone in many capacities or whatever, but you feel like that's an idol that would get after their heart, that you could do something to restrict their use of that. There's things you could actually do on their phone to restrict. Phone calls and texting, all that kind of stuff. Do what? Yeah, yeah, actually, they, they are, and they'll try to get around it, which I hope they do at some time, so they'll be caught or whatever. Another great prayer thing, we pray for our kids all the time to get caught. But it's not about what you choose to discipline. It's about getting after their hearts in that discipline. So that's what you guys need to be creative about, what that looks like. And so there's things you can't do or things that actually might feed their idols. Be careful of all that. But talk and pray about that. Discuss that as a couple and think about how you have to get after their hearts. So I just gave a a generic thing. I think it would be different. What the idols of my son's heart is not always the same as the idol of my daughter's heart. 
So I'm going to go after their hearts differently. So don't think so much about the practical thing. Think about how to get after their heart, and then that will equal, or God will lead you to figure out how that will equal the practical thing. And don't make it about the phone. Make it about that your love is being directed by this object rather than the object of your affection should be about Christ or about honoring him or about obeying him. Not even obeying mom and dad, but about obeying him. Now, you're commanded to obey us, but make it about him, not about the phone. It's all about the phone. We take the phone away. No, make it about their heart. And if the phone gets at their heart, you guys talk about it and figure out the best way to do that. Sometimes we'll try to approach that situation as a gift. Like, this is not a punishment. This is not a discipline. This is a gift that we're going to have to have free time to just give them back that time. It's a gift, yeah. So you're, you're actually saying, hey, we're going to, this is good for your heart. So we're going we're gonna to give you a gift of not being around a screen. <laughs> and they go, oh, thank you, Mama. Mama, you're such an honor and blessing to my heart. It's so interesting that you say that. It's interesting that we did that in our home. I, we talked about the Sabbath. We talked about it for two or three times. We didn't talk anything about tech or screen time. We just talked about the Sabbath and what the Sabbath means. It says to stay away from work and, and trust in God. You know what? Men have a more problem with this. They have to work on Sundays because they don't believe God can take care of their job. They have to take care of their job on Sunday. And therefore, they don't take Sabbath. Now, that's speaking to the heart of some dads in the room. Did you, no, no, no. You don't understand my work. No, 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 no. I understand your work. I think so. You need to take a Sabbath and trust that God can show up on Monday morning. And you don't have to work four hours on Sunday night and not spend time with your kid or your wife and honor and respect her. So we talked all about work and piety and, and Sabbath and mercy and needs. Then we, like three weeks later, as they're talking about the Sabbath, says, you know what some things we can say no to besides just work? We can say no to, hey, maybe the TV. Let's try that. Let's just one Sabbath for two or three hours. Let's just not touch it. And let's spend time with the Lord or rest or sleep. or I don't care what you do. Just, just, let's just take a Sabbath from TV. And then you can work up. And then we took a whole month away from screens. I'm just kidding. It was only like, uh, you know, we could work up to three hours, you know, TV only. But then they're on, you know, on the computers. Oh, God, you got to have a screen, you know. No, and then we worked up to, hey, why don't we just take an electronic? Anything you have to plug in, let's just, let's just take a Sabbath from that today. Oh, my gosh, Dad, it's impossible. Okay, let's do it for three or four hours. Let's see. And get them to understand the gift of that. So, yes, I think that's beautiful. Another interesting factor in there with uh, with discipline is being careful that some of those things that we might be we might tend to especially take away in terms of discipline are actually things that that are very helpful for them. Um, one of one of my kids a couple years ago was playing football, and uh, one of the things we noticed is that for kids on the team, if they started getting in trouble at school or if their grades weren't good, right, parents would pull them right games. But the practice and the playing the game is one of the things that actually allowed them. Absolutely. Let me, let me repeat kind of what you're saying. We have to be careful sometimes if we discipline in such a way our teens to take away something that could be helpful to their heart, encouraging to their heart. Um, absolutely, we have to be careful that as parents. That's why as parents, I think we need to be, pray and ask the Lord, what are the best ways that we could love them by going after their idols? 
And so, yeah, sometimes, I'm going to repeat what you said, sometimes if we take away from a sports team, that's the greatest community they need, fellowship they need, uh, actually, heck, exercise they need instead of sitting in front of a TV all day or whatever it is. So there's many things that we have to be careful that could actually encourage our hearts that we want them to be a part of. Absolutely. I can't more than 100% agree with you. That's why parents, again, think about this for a second, what we're talking about. These three practical things we talked about make it about us. Pray, sit down, and go, how can we help their heart? Because all of a sudden, it's what we think, oh, take them off the team, that's the best thing. I know they love football. Let's punish the crap out of them by taking away football for three months. Wow. Maybe that's not the best thing for their heart. Maybe that's not the best thing in their life. Let's pray and think, how can we get after the loves that are keeping them from Jesus? So yes, absolutely, be careful. Be careful for any type of discipline you do. When you're spanking your younger kids, don't do it in anger. Take some time away. We can spend a whole time on that. Yeah. Thank you very much. It's awesome. The idea of what we model, you know, I think um, the thing that comes to my mind is like Randy's book on pursuit of satisfaction, where you're pursuing, pursuing the glory of God to delight us or the counterfeit glory of the world. Wow. So modeling, I'm, I'm kind of going to repeat you for this here. Yeah, just um, what we model. So we're pursuing after the glory of God or we're pursuing after something else, yeah. And I think our culture is, especially teenagers, I mean, it's so obvious, it's the pursuit of satisfaction. And so I think for me, it comes back to, in my own life, you know, the ongoing repentance of what is my heart to like? Is it NFL football on Sunday? Is it whatever? And just continue to work through that in my own heart. Because that's going to be the greatest, greatest gift I can give my kids, I think. Absolutely. So what, what uh, we, we run after things that will satisfy our own hearts. So it's a great thing that we should ask our kids. And so the kids in the room, you should turn around and ask your parents on the way home or on the way to work, ask them this. What do you see, not what you think, what do you see my heart delights in? Oh, no, 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 no. Because... My heart delight, I mean, well, Dad, of course your heart delights in golf. Well, uh, how, how would you, how come you say that? Well, you know, wow, your heart delights in your work. Ask your children, what do you see my heart delight in? That ought to, that ought to throw us to our knees. Do what? Yeah, do you really want to hear the answer? Hey, you, you, know, you know what the uh, harder answer to that is? Ask your spouse. Honey, as a woman, as a woman, you could say, excuse me, husband. What does my heart delight in? Put on the Kevlar. Vice versa, I think men ought to start with it. I think men ought to start with being the chief repenter in their home. I think that's their number one job, actually, that husbands and fathers should be the chief repenter in their home, period. So the husband should put on the Kevlar and say, honey, how have I not honored you, cherished you, respected you? Another way is, what do I delight in other than you? <laughs> or, I hope I delight in you, you know. <laughs> but yeah, ask your spouse. It would be a harder answer probably to get than children. So great. Anything else and we'll end our time. We went past time. Yeah. Okay, let me pray for us. I hope these will, uh, will get after our hearts. Father, we, we want to ask you 
to forgive us again. We want to repent and confess of us controlling our homes and causing disunity. We want to confess trying to control our kids with our conditional rules and regulations and so-called love that would make us have so-called satisfaction, peace, and comfort. We want to confess and repent of our selfishness, our self-righteousness. We want to confess and repent that we believe our kids are bigger sinners than we are. And we treat them as these, as these non-covenantal kids, these kids that aren't being guided and loved and protected by you. And so we limit them. We put them in bondage. Father, help them live in godly freedom. Help them live in biblical freedom with principles that would point them to Christ. And oh, may we model a repentant and broken heart. May we model a life of prayer that is daily desperate, needy for Jesus. And may our kids see that, see that delight in Christ. And may they run to Christ too. Help us, O oh God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much, Monty. Um, for this podcast and for the entire series, always go back to perimeter.org slash parent you. And you, that should land you on a page where you can download or subscribe to a podcatcher and get those podcasts. Please go back to the website. If you're not already attached to us via social media, that's how we get out all of our announcements the quickest. So make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, so on and so forth, but also the website as well. So again, Watershed tonight's the last official night for discipleship in Watershed, and then next week would be the last for junior high. If you have any questions, we've got staff around uh, here. Thank you again, Monty, and we'll see you guys around.